Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving episode uh, with the Bulwark crew. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of the Bulwark, and I have got with me Charlie Sykes, Mona Sharon, and Amanda has spelled her name with all the A's, Amanda Carpenter here. Amanda um, is in the house. <laughs> coming in hot, coming in hot. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for... Thanks for coming in and doing a um, a quick little Thanksgiving episode. You know, people are going to need something to listen to if you know they need a they need a little break from their families and they want to spend some time with their their favorite Bulwark family. Or while they're basting. That's right. <laughs> We're your next best option, everyone. I feel outnumbered. Where, where are the other Bulwark guys? Oh, that's you can is, handle it, Charlie. You've I'm, got that I'm, I'm evangelical masculinity thing. Don't worry. I have to go in the other room and watch football now. <laughs> uh, can I just – I just want to kick it off uh, really quick. I, I know that some of you – it was in Charlie's newsletter, so I know you guys saw this tweet. Um, but I feel like it's a great place to start, which is – um, I have never seen something like this in the wild because it's too close to a parody. Uh, but the Women's March tweeted good. out yesterday. They sent this tweet. It says, we apologize deeply for the email that was sent today. $14.92. So $14.92 was our average donation amount this week. It was an oversight on our part, to not make the connection to a year of colonization, conquest, and genocide for indigenous people, especially for Thanksgiving. Um, so deepest, deepest <laughs> apologies from the Women's March for not for not recognizing. I mean, first of uh, all, good on them for having a, a, a healthy average in their average donation. Um, <laughs> but I, I am I, rounded up losers and figure it out. I mean, but where does it boggles the mind to me that even like whose mind goes like do you think they were getting emails from people that were angry yes. that their average donation was $14.92 people who are sophomores and you know at Wellesley right now yeah i, I, I this, oberlin yeah yeah um look i i am uh, i i am i believe that i am as woke as the next person um, you are not you are, you are you are you are not woke sarah you are like please stop with the wokeness all right so maybe that's not. why you picked this topic <laughs> look i just thought that we could use a chuckle um and and also to just say that um it is it is important uh, to know our history. What, but I think I think it's safe for us to celebrate Thanksgiving, um, and that's that's what I want to do. Uh, <laughs> yes. In uh, this. Can I just let me just say one one serious thing, okay? One okay. serious thing, right? It's no. I mean, what, nobody's denying you know that terrible things happen to native peoples when you know the encounter happened between Europeans and natives. No question about that. On the other hand, the way Thanksgiving has come down to us, it was always about. The fact that at the Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving, there was peace between the natives and the and the settlers. There was there Before was a sense of gratitude all, toward them. Well, some Indians killed us. a lot of white people too, and I say that as one eighth. Eh, my mom was one eighth Native American. Yeah, well, but they but they're the it losers. So the losers are never are never held. Sure. You know, they, they they're not responsible if they kill people, right? So anyway, whatever. Look, I mean, the fact is, it has come down to us as a day of peace and harmony, right? And and uh, so that's worth remembering, isn't it? 
No. I, I think so. I, no, I think Charlie so. says no. What do we remember then, Charlie? <laughs> no, see, I, I go back to, to Sarah's question. Who looked at that tweet and saw $14.92? Nobody. And, and, thought, and thought, I really need to uh, call to their attention that this is deeply offensive. These are the kinds of people who, look, I mean, like five minutes ago, would have seen a picture of the Virgin Mary in their bowl of Cheerios. And got on the phone and called. I mean, really, it's at you that level. You can make level. some money on eBay with that. Yeah. These are the people who used to call radio stations and say, you know, you shouldn't play that record because if you play it backwards, it's Satan. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's at woe, that level. Woe yeah. to the group whose average daily donation is six six dollars and 66 cents yeah. uh, <laughs> so i had a, i had a debate on the comment section Watch out, saying okay but you know wokeism uh is it is it is it a menace or merely an annoyance you know why are you bringing this up because aren't there more serious threats i mean matthew dowd basically thinks that we're nazi germany so um and and i answered i think it's actually both i think it, you know it's always annoying but it becomes a menace if you become if people decide that you are crazy and it opens the door to the real deplorables to come back in so guys you know before you tweet just think how ridiculous does it make me look but see this is the thing so they don't know it, they don't know so it's right in their world Everybody is going, hey, yeah. you know, thank you for catching that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Thank, exactly. thank you for not being one of those people who think that it's okay. You guys are taking this on. I just thought it was funny, man. I just, I just thought it was, I just thought it was a good. Yeah, yeah. Turn a good, in your woke card. Turn good, it in. Good just joke. All right. So here's what I want to do for our special Thanksgiving episode. I, so it's been, it's been a. It's been a tough year politically so far, Ugh. I might say. This has been hasn't been the best. Um, and you know, we've still got COVID uh swirling around. Although, hey, most of us, unlike last year, we're gonna go we're, we're gonna go see our families. And I hope everybody listening to this got a chance to to be with their family. Um, and so we are gonna try to be optimistic here. And I want everybody to tell me one thing that you are thankful for. Politically, something that Mona, Mona, I'm going to let you kick it off because you had a great piece this morning talking about it could be anything kind of in the realm of politics, but something that you're thankful for, something good that happened. Uh, let's come on, let's be joyful, guys. Okay, I have one thought, which is uh, it comes from your discussion on the next level today, Sarah, when you were talking about your focus group, and you said that one of the things that these voters said to you about why they were comfortable voting for Glenn Youngkin. Uh, was that he didn't seem at all like Trump. So, you know, remember, there was a time when we thought that this this endless circling of the drain, this this, you know, this this race to the bottom could continue ad infinitum and that, you know, the next guy after Trump was going to be, you know, Hulk Hogan or something. I don't know. But, you know, the, that it was going to become ever more uh, not that you could really go that far down from Trump, but that it was going to be, you know, ever more ridiculous and clownish characters that voters were going to say, yeah, I like that guy. Seems like there's a much more of a recoil. So that's my happy note for now. Oh, a Glenn Youngkin stand in the crowd. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not. As you know, I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so that's that's great. Charlie, what about you? What do you you got anything you're thankful for? Well, I'm, I am deeply thankful for uh, Chris Christie discovering his con – no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I, I started to puke in my wastebasket. I would I would have had to go into the other room and hide if I would have said that knowing that Amanda was listening. No, I was thinking about this when, when you asked the, the, the question. And the only thing I can come up with 
is the is the most obvious since we're in on politics, which is that I'm thankful that Donald Trump is not the president of the United States anymore. Yeah. I mean, everything else is bad. Everything else is getting worse. Um, I actually do see that the we're still going to be circling the drain. But at least for this moment, this is a Thanksgiving that we all gather together with our loved ones. And Donald Trump is not the president of the United States. And for that, I am thankful. I, I too, am still thankful for that. Um, Plus not, one. Though not completely in the rear view, but we can save that for a time when we're going to be more downers than we are right now. Amanda, what about you? I am thankful for the COVID vaccine. Because my kids will be getting their second shot, uh, I think, in the first week of December. Excellent. I am thankful for all the people in our political and government system who work to advance that great medical achievement. Truly, between yes. the Trump administration and the Biden administration, me and my family have been very careful over the last two years. Um, you know, I still... We've eaten as a family, I think, once in an indoor restaurant because it was very, it wasn't crowded at all. We are still waiting to get back to normal. My kids, all they want for Christmas is to go to SkyZoom, which is like an indoor trampoline center. Um, They've been very good. I'm so proud of my kids, but I'm more proud of everyone that worked together to advance that great medical achievement. And I'm also super thankful for... uh, James Clyburn, who I think is the only person that has any sense in the Democratic Party right now. Really the only person. (laughs) He's responsible for, I think, nominating Joe Biden. I think he's responsible for his presidency. I I think we're going to be in a bad place if he advances to another realm. How about you, Sarah? Okay. So I I actually, I thought you were going to go with the vaccine. Uh, well, I, I did write about that, so I, know. I don't know. I figured I'd go a different direction. All right. Um, I, I, too, very thankful for the vaccine. Uh, I got my booster because I, uh, I I took the easy route the first time and got the J&J um, and uh, had been feeling kind of vulnerable. Um, so I was ex- very excited to get my uh, my cells changed with the mRNA. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, all right. So I, I am uh, – because I – cannot help but cling to my last shreds of hope for the Republican Party. Uh, I I am thankful for Liz Cheney. Um, and okay. All right. We're with you. I'll cheers to yep. that. Okay. Yep. And I, I just I, – I, I know for people who don't listen to The Secret Podcast, um, I, I, I've been talking about Liz a lot. Um, and it's not just that, you know, she has been a clear – voice over the last, I don't know, six months about the danger that Donald Trump poses, it is that she has shown no signs of letting up, of being cowed. Um, she lost her leadership position and seemed to to take it uh, standing up. And, um, you know, everybody it's, it's funny you mentioned Chris Christie, right? Everybody mm-hmm. is everybody is trying to dodge on some level. Everybody's trying to work an angle. And yep. for somebody to just continue the drumbeat, no matter how you know mean people are to her about it, I think she is thinking about how to – whether she can win. You know, SNL had that skit 
uh, the other day, uh, I think last weekend, where they were were kind of saying the, the whole premise was that she was all alone. She was like, you know, they're like, well, yeah. who who's with you, Liz Cheney? And she's <laughs> like, you know, my dad and, you know, uh, John McCain's uh, sister or, you know, like whatever. She, you know, three people. <laughs> I, I would just like to say that I am I am with her. Um, she has been like water in the You're desert. What? Strength to her You're hands. I don't know which. Oh, yeah, I'm with her. <laughs> I didn't even hear myself <laughs> yeah, say good it. Good one, Amanda. <laughs> Been no, there, done that. Um, she, she's like water in the desert for, for me. Who's just no, like, she's great. It's great. Yeah. The, the yeah. question is, is she going to have to run as an independent to keep this Republican spirit up? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I have... Uh, I, I have hopes that she will do something. You know, Josh Barrow had tweeted uh, something like, you know, eh, people keep talking about someone going to the left of – running to the left of Trump and someone mm-hmm. running to the right of Trump. And he's like, you know, I feel like what hasn't been tried yet is someone running directly at him saying, hey, you didn't build that wall. You didn't uh, do any of the things that you said. You lost to Joe Biden. And honestly, she's the one person that I think would run right at him. Like, hey, man, you know, the only wall that you built was around the Capitol building after your mob attacked it. Yeah, if she can get on the ballot to run against him in a Republican primary, it'd be great. I'm very skeptical. I'm very skeptical that that is actually a winning strategy for her. It's not winning, but the point it would be to make a point and to damage him and give people permission slip to say, you know what, I'm a conservative Republican. I I, I can't do Trump again, and so Mm. I'll vote for Liz Cheney in the primary. Maybe it's two to ten percent, and then. Uh, hopefully vote for Joe Biden and reelect. Ugh. No, that's, that's it. ugly. Yeah. But, uh, well, although, I, you know, I do anything to help her, of course, but just saying, what do you think, Charlie? Well, I, I admire her tremendously. Uh, I, I don't know what the path is. I, I look, uh, if she went at Donald Trump, she'd be a complete annoyance, um, to him and and I think might do a little bit of damage. But, you know, while we were talking about it, I was thinking about that one quote. I know, Sarah, you commented on it from from our friends at the Lincoln Project that are, you know, bragging that they're going to take down anybody because they really wanted to be Trump again. And because beating Trump is going to be so easy. It strikes me. No one should root for Trump to run again, period. I I, I don't want to. No one should root for Trump to run again, period. I I, don't want to. Exactly. We've seen this movie, and I I don't want to get into a slap fight, but I did just give a quote to somebody saying this is the mother of all bad ideas. In fact, no, it's (laughs) the father, brother, sister, cousin of all bad ideas because Donald Trump could win again. Do not play joke. Don't don't play around with this. You think we'd learn our lesson from last time. So, yeah, yeah. What, you know, more more power to Liz Cheney and people like Liz Cheney, who yeah. uh, is really, let's face it, you know, we talk a lot about political courage and guts. I mean, that woman's amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and and she is not bending. You know, she she hasn't decided to become, you know, you know Liz Cheney 2.0 and change all of her positions and reject everything she used to believe before. I mean, she's, she's quite remarkable right now. What I love about her is she's always so deliberate and careful about what she says. I mean, I go back and look at her speeches and look at her interviews because it is always so deliberate and careful. She doesn't make mistakes. And I I so appreciate that. Also, look at the contrast between someone like Liz Cheney and and Chris Christie. You know, Liz Cheney (laughs) has gravitas. This is a serious serious human being who has thought through the, the risks to our democracy, um, the, the stakes of this, this perilous moment, and she's taking it 
goddamn seriously. And then there's Chris Christie tap dancing around and trying to sort of like maybe find a lane where He's he can say, noiser. well, I was for Trump, but now I'm not. Now we have to look forward. You know, he is, I mean, I, I never thought I would say this about Chris Christie, but he is a total lightweight. Well, and it brings me to the to the last thing I'll say on the the Cheney conversation, which is there's this funny conversation going on in the Republican Party right now amongst uh, the men about manliness. And I, and I just, I just always. Hey, Sarah, yeah. you and me and Mona can take them all. <laughs> I, I just, I, I am quite certain of it. It's just so funny to ha- hear Josh Hawley talk about the masculine virtues and other stuff. And I just think uh, they, you know, they tick off things like courage and, um, you know, forbearance, whatever. And I just look at Liz Cheney. I think she's the only one who's displaying any of those virtues. Exactly. Uh, she, in this she would whole make jo- She would make Josh Hawley cry. Yeah, she, she, right. she would. It's, it's like, he should not be talking about manliness in the same room with her. Just, I'm just All saying. Right. Uh, and I'll just – I want to throw in a, a special mention for for my boy Adam Kinzinger too. He has yeah. also been quite yeah. remarkable. Yes. Um, so, all right. All right. That's our political talk. All right. <laughs> I, I, now, Sonny Bunch, our own Sonny Bunch, uh, who – you know, he's not here, so it's not really fair, but but who's taste in movies as our culture writer, you know, sometimes he does things where that really throw me for a loop. He has he has asserted today that the finest, definitive Thanksgiving film is the Adams family. What? What? Adams family the, values. The new one or the old one? My kids have watched the recent one and I it is it is terrible. It's like no, this, you know, this the is Pixar the oh this is really? not 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 the not the 1993 one, not the yeah. I've seen the cartoon one where there's like a weird like mm-hmm. real estate lady. Oh no, no, no! no it's the Adams family values. Now I can't say I don't know my my Adams family um, from my any other family, so I, I I can't really speak to it. I just it's not one of those things that that uh, jumps out at me as a uh, seminal Thanksgiving film. But it did lead me to think about what is a good. What is a what is a Thanksgiving film uh, that that we can all enjoy? JBL and I were talking about it on the with Bill on the next level. There are none. This is the problem. Like we have movies for every other holiday between Halloween and Christmas. There's nothing in the middle. Nightmare Before Christmas is like maybe the best one, but there's not a Thanksgiving movie. And I ran into this problem today because my daughter loves Christmas music wants to listen to it was trying to turn it on i'm like no we have to wait until after thanksgiving there's nothing there's nothing i've searched for it it does not exist planes trains and automobiles that's what our producer katie suggested well she's right oh there you go i never saw it no but but amanda is right um, is this an old person's movie charlie there there are so many don't go there. There are so many great. <laughs> no, really. Great, when, when was there made? Are, there are so seriously. many great Christmas movies, but really, in America today, you shouldn't be watching a movie on Thanksgiving. You should, I'm sorry, you should be watching football. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> the da- Dallas Cowboys. Okay. The Dallas Cowboys playing the Detroit Lions, or the Detroit no, Lions I'm losing to Michigan. anyone. That's why I don't want to watch football. I mean, honestly. I've yeah. hardly watched any movies in the last 20 years. I mean, I've been watching all these series that are so fantastic on television. They they leave movies in the dust, honestly, now. The quality is so great. This and is the true, movies by the have way. been Yeah, the known. movies have been eh, not that great. On the other hand, if you say that Thanksgiving is a quasi-religious observance, you know, you're, who are you thanking after all for all your blessings? But okay, so if it's quasi-religious, 
I think one of the better movies that uh, has a religious theme or at least an ethical theme running under it, if we're not talking about A Man for All Seasons, the greatest movie of all time, I would mention Chariots of Fire, um, which is a 1980 film that, if you haven't seen it, is um, about a runner in the Olympics who doesn't want to run on Sunday because it violates his religious principles. And it is really great. And there's just, it's I I love that movie. Elf. 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 Uh, That's a Christmas movie. Wait a second. Are you guys just ignoring what I said? What do you think of Chariots of Fire? My my husband likes Chariots of Fire. He's tried to make us watch it, and he is not. It's it's a great movie, but but it's not it's not a Christmas movie. We had a Elf. So let me. I'll tell you what I did in preparation of this week. Christmas story. We don't have internet at our house, so there's no streaming. So I go to the local Goodwill and just see what is in the DVD pile. And so what is on our list? for this Thanksgiving weekend is Mamma Mia, uh, 13 going on 30 and the Simpsons movie. We, we are clearly the wrong people to be asking this question. Gosh. Uh, I mean, these answers are sorry. terrible. These, they're really yeah, bad. they really I, are. See, I, I'm What's actually envisioning yours, the Christmas movie of this poor woman in West Virginia <laughs> who every Christmas, because she has no internet, she has to go to the Goodwill and go through the barrel searching for the one bit of Christmas chair. What do you feel so happy? I'm going to save happy. Amanda. Those movies were, were $1.99. I know. 13 Going at 30 is a great film. Me and my daughter will love watching it. Mamma Mia has great musical score. What is your problem? God bless us, everyone. This is great. <laughs> we First don't need television, Mom. Mamma Mia <laughs> is a great movie. Mamma Mia is a great movie. Chariots of it's Fire a little is also racy. A great It's a little racy. I'm a little concerned for the kids. I'm going to fast forward through the like awkward parts. It's like nothing's that racy if you sing to it. I, if you're singing ABBA, it all feels pretty wholesome. Uh, yeah. All right. Not not even. I Team, can't get, Tima, okay. With, with what? You were looking for a movie to watch with your kids? No, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, guys. No, Team America. Oh, oh yeah. America. Really hilarious. Hey. Uh, the big one? There. It's it's puppets. How bad could it be? <sighs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think Charlie is referring to the fact that he did this as a parent. You know this. this is my worst moment ever. <laughs> Charlie wants to corrupt my children. <laughs> no, I just I just would like to talk to you the day after it happens. No, this is the famous story of of you know showing it to my my kids. And my, my daughter had suggested it, and I had younger boys, and we started watching it. And, and I, I literally said the words, there are puppets, how bad could it be? <laughs> and I I am still just shocked that I sat there and, and watched that. So don't. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, that's enough. That's enough joking around from you guys. Uh, I, I I did. Charlie, are you in, are you in Wisconsin right now? I am in Wisconsin right now. And and, 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 and by the way, could we have a GoFundMe to just buy Christmas DVDs for the Amanda Carpenter family? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of choked up about this. I don't need your charity. I like it like this. (laughs) I I do have to ask, Amanda, do you still have a DVD player? Well, it's it's a very old Xbox that my husband bought when we were dating that we use. Yeah. Because I think I might have a. DVD player, but like it's not attached to my television. I've yeah. just been too lazy to like remove it from. So send me all your old DVDs. <laughs> I don't even know where they are. Uh, I can't. What a, what a lousy investment to all my VHS uh, and DVDs are. Um, all, all of our DVDs go to West Virginia to die. Yeah, dollar ninety nine at Goodwill. Like I am living it up. It sounds kind of expensive, actually. Um, so yes, sir. I am I, in Wisconsin. I am in okay, Wisconsin. Okay, you're in, you're in Wisconsin. Yeah. I gotta I gotta ask yeah, just yeah. this broad question. 
what is going on out there, man? I mean, it, where, it is, where do you want to start? I mean, I don't Kenosha, know. I, Waukesha, the legislature. I don't want to spend because it because it, it really just seems like a like a tragedy. Um, you know, the parade and and the written house. But great. I actually right. So let's let's focus on. Yeah. Ron Johnson for just a second, because I, I I've been actually dying to ask you this. And it's not there's no there's no thematic connection to Thanksgiving other than I just want to know he is currently making the this move to completely politicize voting in the state. Yeah. Um, and 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 to have a total sorry, not just voting, but have a total takeover partisan takeover of elections in the state. And one of the things I wanted to no, you remember he was caught on that undercover video explaining to an activist yes. that the election wasn't stolen. Yeah. And so now, but now he's do full on full court press and it actually is decently alarming what he's doing there. Can you, what, what's happening? Well, I, I get, again, I don't know how far they're going to go with all this, but there's an independent bipartisan elections commission that they've decided is the center of all evil. And so even though they, the Republican legislature created this, uh, they, they decided that, that, uh, they want to move on from it. So this is the push you're talking about. Uh, Ron Johnson met with legislative leadership and said, why don't we just, um, ignore the election commission and let's just directly take over the elections just the republicans in the legislature ignore the democratic governor you have the power to do this based on some internet research they found out about the constitution or something like that and what's really amazing about it is how how fast this has moved uh, this is a real lunatics taking over the asylum because it was only a couple of months ago i was talking to somebody very close to the republican state assembly speaker uh, who's not one of the good guys in this story. But at that point, it was the, the feeling was that the people who are still attached to the big lie here are, are the nuts. You just kind of like throw them some red meat. You give them an investigation, but they were kind of fringy. And it's accelerated so hard and so fast that you now have uh, a state that, and I would never have thought that we would have been in the lead on this sort of thing, but Ron Johnson's out there and, and, once again, we're seeing just no one willing to stand up against the crazies in the party. You know, I mean, again, like two two months ago, there were maybe half dozen, dozen members of the Republican caucus that were in this sort of stop to steal crazy, you know, thing. Um, and they were being appeased. Now they're driving the bus. So something not to be thankful for in 2021. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, one of the things that I think is kind of underappreciated is is all of the chess pieces that are moving against democracy like they're we're having these you know on the right they're having these conversations about you know auditing all the elections and election integrity that are all meant to kind of be a a PR campaign for the stop the steal in, in different permutations and on the left you know they're very they're focused on access and suppression um, and they've got their big federal legislation but I feel like people aren't seeing the field as it's as like the chess pieces are like lining up for things to start to get really messy I mean you've got all these secretary of states that are running uh, explicitly saying that they would not certify things or they wouldn't have certified them in 2020 I, I think that and this goes back to Wisconsin, but in, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Arizona, 
um, the governor's races. And, and I think people don't realize quite how, how you know, with the Eastman memo, that, that entire strategy was really around, well, we need to send alternate slates of electors. Um, now, of course, they couldn't, it would have been difficult to do that with the governors in those states. Yeah. Um, but if we have an election in 22 and the, the governorships of a lot of these states flip, and I mean, in Arizona, Carrie Lake is is just absolutely mm. wild and and explicitly says she wouldn't have certified in 2020. I just how concerned should we be uh, about the number of elected officials that could be incoming who are sort of ready and willing to mess around with things, the basic sort of vote counting? Yeah, very, 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 very. And, you know, I mean, the, here's the thing to think about. I, I can't get around is that January 6th happened in this calendar year. And remember what the fallout from that was and all the things we're discovering about it. And yet I can't tell you that Republicans are paying any particular political price for this. In fact, if anything, the Republican base is demanding more, more, more. So, uh, yeah, let's. But on the alternate side, I have Lauren. to say the Democrats, like like we saw in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe thought he would just say Trump, 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 and people would be scared. They didn't assign a higher value to the stakes of electing people who have aligned themselves with Trump. What Republicans have done consistently since, I, I think, 2010 in the Tea Party days was get people excited and activated on a local level. I, I'm not sure that commitment exists on behalf of Democrats in purple to red areas. I, I think they have a lot of energy and excitement in very blue areas, but you know, training and recruiting people who can speak to moderates and Republican voters, I, I, I just I think that is the effort, enthusiasm is non-existent, and it worries me very much. Yeah, I mean, in a better world. Um, in the world in which we had a thriving, healthy democracy with really strong antibodies to authoritarianism, um, the very fact of what happened on January 6th, or frankly, what many things that happened before January 6th, would have set in train, you know, just all of the defense mechanisms in the society. Everybody would have been unanimous that that is beyond the pale. Something cannot be tolerated. We have to take every step necessary to make sure that people who who even didn't speak up against it, far less approved of it, um, are, are disqualified from holding offices of public trust. Um, and yet there has not been that recoil. Instead, as, as uh, Charlie said, you know, people in the Republican Party uh, base are cheerleading about it and, and demanding more of it. At least some of them are. Uh, and a bigger chunk of the Republican Party is shrugging it off and saying that it was, you know, there was probably some reason and these were all patriots and on and on. And, you know, the Democrats uh, they're, they're in a tough spot because they cannot appeal to the broad American public by saying, this is unacceptable. We have to make sure that these people never hold power again. That doesn't work. And so what they have to do, I keep saying, I'm broken record, they have to govern in such a fashion that those people cannot be returned to power. And the way to do that is to tack to the center, which, you know, we'll uh, see. Yeah. Maybe, Wh maybe which, they'll do Which does it, not include not crapping good. on people like Joe Manchin. Right. That is true. 
Well, the one thing that that strikes me uh, as I, I do all these focus groups, both with left, right, and center, Democrats, Republicans, independents, um, Charlie and I talked about, about this when he, he was on the focus group podcast, um, but it's a point that I've been trying to make uh, over and over again, and I saw it going into the Virginia election and talked about it with James Carville, is the real uh, asymmetric enthusiasm yeah. uh, among voters. I mean, the Republicans will tell you they they are ready and juiced and they want to go vote for any living, breathing Republican. I think that's why you see these massive turnout numbers, especially in the rural areas and these most recent elections in New Jersey and Virginia. And you talk to Democrats and they are a firm meh on things. Um, and and I Mona and I were at a conference recently and I was giving a presentation about you know, how do average Americans think about democracy? And I was kind of making the point, hey, they they really don't uh, think mm-hmm. that much about democracy. But I, I was mm-hmm. citing a poll. CNN had a poll. It's from back in September, I think. And it asked people, do you think that democracy is under attack? And uh, 48% of Democrats said yes. 52% of independents said yes. And 75% of Republicans mm. said yes. And I think that that's counterintuitive to people because they mm-hmm. think that it's the Democrats who are, are really focused on this, but it's not. Republicans are actually winning the messaging war on the idea that, that their version of democracy is under attack, right? That they an election was stolen and that's how they're thinking about it. And so they're amped up about it. Whereas I think for the average Democrat, um, just the, the sheer sort of protection of democracy is not nearly the high salience issue um, that that I think, you know, we'd sort of hope it would be. Republicans are excited by a lie and Democrats are bored with the truth. Can I ask a question? Because I asked this of all my Democratic friends. And so it might be interesting to ask my Republican ones. Such as we are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who is the best messenger for the Democratic Party? Because when I ask Democrats this, they have nothing. Which is amazing. Yeah. When you think when you think about it, yeah, that that is hard. And also, look, it's uh, we spent. I think we all spend too much time on in the cable television bubble because you step you step outside of that, and voters like here in Wisconsin, frankly, they're not talking about the threats to democracy. Um, they yep. are talking about crime, law and order. They are talking about the border. They are talking about inflation, all yep. of these things. And on every one of those shutdowns. issues, right right now, we get the, right exactly the shutdown. Um, the Republicans are on the offense. The Democrats are on the defense or talking completely past what voters are thinking about. I mean, it is watching a conversation where it feels like people are in two different rooms, just completely having different different dialogues. Yeah, Remember and I think in the days when you used to have a draft this person or that person movement, like I don't either. But anyway, there used Palenti. to be. A time. I remember Jeff Palenti. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about draft Abigail Spanberger? I'm I'm here. I'm here for this conversation, Mona. I I, I think that um, that the Democrats <laughs> uh, need to start thinking about their bench. And they need yeah. to start elevating people sooner rather than later. You know, one of the things that that always uh, hits me in the Democratic focus groups uh, is, you know, I ask them, OK, well, who do you want to see run in 2024 if Joe Biden doesn't run? And, and people kind of look at me blankly like, mm. I don't know. I mean, you ask the Republican groups, hey, if Trump doesn't run, who do you want to see? And I'm not saying these are good choices, but yeah. but people have choices. You know, they'll the tell you. no. Yeah, DeSantis, no, my, you know, the Tucker and Candace Owens and, oh. uh, you know, there's just some, 
God help us. God help us. Uh, uh, and, but, and I'm not but those are answers. They have people ready to go. That's right. And I think, um, you know, when, you know, Joe Biden, sometimes people describe him in the focus groups as a bridge candidate. Um, so where? And, yeah, well, so this is, this is, uh, I think it's, it's interesting when, I think when he was elected, right, he became this consensus candidate yeah. that people sort of thought could win. And, and, but if you think about him like a bridge, it's sort of interesting because you can, you can see how people could presume that on the other side of the bridge, like they could imp- superimpose whatever bridge. their vision is, right? They could, well, they could superimpose their vision. So if they, you know, if they wanted a progressive or whatever, but they could just see like whatever future they wanted on the other side of that bridge. But it, the closer, and then I'm Obviously, we're only 10 months in, but the more, you know, we get freaked out about 22 and Trump really starts to amp up looking like he's going to run in 2024, the more. But honestly, think- it was supposed to be the bridge to Kamala Harris. Yeah. And she's not living up to the hype. Well, I don't I, even know if it's that, though. I mean, it seems it's, there seems to be yeah. some strategic decision for her to not be high profile. But I, I mean- will say if you went back a few years ago, like she she could have been president. Right. People looked at her. And then on the first look, they thought, yes, she could be president. Yeah, just because she, she was vice a president. Bunch of boxes, but no, but- no, I, I looked at her too and I thought, yes, but she is not fulfilling that destiny for She's whatever terrible. reason. I don't understand it. Yeah, She's I don't horrible. understand she it. She was in one of the worst campaigns I've ever seen, where she was just like as you know, a tower of jello on every issue. She but was she just gave a atrocious. very well, I, I think she gave a very good first look, and she's been given every opportunity to fulfill that destiny, and she's okay, not so going to I, be able to I for whatever reason. Can I ask you guys reason. a question? I have a question. So that's the, that's, that's the bridge to nowhere, sadly. Yeah. Do, do you think it's significant at all that Biden passed over Kamala Harris uh, for this uh, position uh, regarding implementing the infrastructure thing, and he's he's tapped Mitch Landrew. Mitch is great. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch is, is great. great. So so is that maybe Sarah is that an attempt to elevate his profile and possibly groom him? I think possibly. I mean, I certainly raised some eyebrows and like any disaffected, good disaffected Republican, the the old school centrist like Mitch Rotlandrew, hold great promise. <laughs> yes. Please, please. <laughs> but, I, but I also, but to your point, Mona, and this is really where I uh, wanted to get was this, this, it seemed there's a bunch of young people who won in 2018 or the cycle before, Mikey Shearl, Abigail Spamberger, Alyssa Slodkin, Seth Moulton. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seth Moulton had kind of a pretty kind of rocky, uh, you know, attempt at the the last presidential. I think he lasted <laughs> he lasted not very long. But there but there were a bunch of young people that you'd like to see elevated in this moment. Um to, it's to hard get them from the house. Get them on the national stage and have them be able, I don't know, bring them up for something. Um and and obviously, I mean, Pete Pete got the the gig that was meant to sort of um, be the face of Biden's signature domestic achievement. Uh, and so I do think you could read some things into there about who's getting the good work. And then, you know, they, they're they getting. All right. Co- can, we, can we say say something about Pete? He came from an Indiana mayor to run for president who became cabinet secretary, who is being talked about not only for one presidential race for a second one. I do think that does speak to his ability, like far beyond Kamala Harris, which he may be an underdog, but like, oh my goodness, uh, who who else has come so far from so little? Yeah, and I think that it it 
speaks to his political talent, um, but also I think to strategic moves that or or I think who's being elevated and who's not. That's when I say it, it seems like almost a conscious choice because Kamala's been given the She's the vice president. She's been given some <laughs> those, the assignments are tough. Uh you know, voting rights, um immigration. Oh, she should yeah. she should have killed voting rights. Both of which are not going well. Well, no, that's, that's that's my yeah. These were yeah. these were tough issues. Okay, guys, I, I just I wanted to do a little politics in there. Now we're doing a lot of it because we love it. But I don't want to depress people. It's Thanksgiving. I want people to be happy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So let's just go let's, back let's, to movies. Sorry. Let's finish it up. Let's finish it up with. Okay, what is there anything you guys? What do you do for Thanksgiving that's special? Do you make anything? Do you have any traditions? Tell us about your lives, Mona. I make almost everything. I love this holiday so much. Uh, it's one of my favorite meals of the year. It's one of my, it's definitely my favorite holiday of the year. I make everything, you know, the cranberry orange relish that you chop up in the food processor and the turkey that you roast in a paper bag so it comes out moist and delicious and not dry. And then all the other things. And I just, before we came on this podcast, I, I was pulling the bread pudding out of the oven, which is going to be only one of the desserts on offer. So I, I adore this pudding. holiday. Oh, yeah. Bread pudding's the best. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, oh, Charlie, what about you? Do you cook? Do you do you put it in a paper bag or smoke a turkey? What do you do? Uh, I eat it. I, um, <laughs> no, ar around here, we're going to have a, a very quiet uh, Thanksgiving because we have family that in this week and then family is coming in next week. Um, but we're going to, Basically, going to have a very, very quiet Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is my wife's favorite holiday. And and, and my wife Janet, for people who you know, will will see like Room Raider, you know the the, the mantle yeah. when I when I do television, and everything that's all that's all my wife Janet. I mean, she makes the, the the place beautiful, but she saves the best for Thanksgiving. This is very much her favorite, and so she will make this absolutely fabulous from your dreams dinner. And then we'll also, because she's got this amazing touch, she will, and, and I don't think I probably tell her this enough. I mean, you, you walk into the dining room and, and she just makes it and you want to just stop and sort of, it takes your breath away because it is so beautiful. And whatever nostalgic memory you have of Thanksgiving, whatever, you know, mental image you have of like the most beautiful dining room for Thanksgiving we're going to have tomorrow and I get no credit for it whatsoever. I completely along for the ride because she does this. So I am, I am extremely thankful that I have a wife that uh, is going to make this holiday very, very special. But of course, you know, she's, she's pretty good all year round as well. Oh, mm -hmm. that's nice. Charlie. Very nice. Amanda, what about you? Well, I think I'm going to go to Goodwill and rifle through the dollar uh, <laughs> DVDs, and then I'll bring them home, and we will um, gather by the dwindling fire to try to keep warm through the West Virginia winter. <laughs> did, did, did your gloves have fingers in them? Does I have this image of you with those 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 gloves with like no fingers? You know, just <laughs> oh, actually, I, I have a few pairs of those. <laughs> and I've been twist. buying more because I've been running, but that's movie. a whole different subject. <laughs> Amanda, do you does your husband cook? Do you cook? How my do you husband doesn't cook. I do all the work for in the kitchen. I'm not giving away my recipes, you guys. Okay, that's that's fine. I wouldn't follow them because I don't know how to cook anything. Um, <laughs> and since 
since uh, since like Charlie, I also have a wife. Uh, she is. We're doing <laughs> we're doing uh, Thanksgiving at our house for the first time, and she's she's gonna she's gonna take a swing at it. Um, I'm responsible as always for the alcohol, which is the only thing I'm good for. But I do love Thanksgiving. I like eating holidays. And I also like I like when you have meals where like there's lots of different stuff and you put it all on the plate and it touches. You know, I know people don't like their Ew, food to touch. No, it's really weird. I think it's so great when you have all the different things and you're like there's not even enough room because you got to get all the pieces. That's my that's my favorite. It makes me so happy. <laughs> me too. Uh, I like a lot of appetizers, but not mains. Huh. OK. All right, guys. Uh, well, listen, I'm thankful for all of you. Charlie, Mona, and Amanda, and I am thankful for everybody who hangs out with us at The Bulwark, who listens to this podcast. I hope you guys are having um, a wonderful Thanksgiving, and, you know, we'll be back after the holiday. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.